All right, welcome back to Two Crees in a Pod. Uh, we are wrapping up season five uh, with two very special people um, that uh, are joining us this evening. Um, and so I want to invite Nina Wilson and Deanna Ledoux uh, to Two Crees in a Pod. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being with us this evening. We're really excited to have you. Um, man, we've been advertising this episode for about six months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just like herding cats, a bunch of Indigenous women here. <laughs> right? right? But we're thankful. We're thankful that we found the time uh, to, to all get together. We're all busy folks. And so thank you for uh, for being here with us this evening. So um, Nina or Diana, do you want to do paper, rock, scissors to see who introduces themselves first? Or are we going to go... Uh, who likes the thicker bologna first? How are we doing? <laughs> Nina. <laughs> Nina bologna thickness. Well, my name is Nina Wilson. I come from Cockerstone First Nation. And I live here. I, this is where I am right now. I'm, I'm on the res. And I'm sitting in my sewing room. I actually have a sewing room at my age. I worked many years to get this. <laughs> so I'm sitting in here just enjoying the evening. And I'm... I'm excited to, to have a conversation with you ladies. I have much respect and love for you. And I know what you're doing is reaching many, many, many people. Mm. And that's really important to me. It's very important. Mm. <clears throat> so thanks for inviting me. Thank you, Nina. Uh, Deanna. Good evening. Um, it's like herding kittens is a... As Amber said, <laughs> trying to get, trying to get four busy Indigenous women to sit still long enough to do a podcast. Um, I'm I'm at uh, my Saskatchewan residence today. I have uh, residence here and one in Alberta, and um, just winding down. Got my grandkids to bed. I keep two of them, and in addition to to my, I have a uh, small well not small children. I have grand grandchildren in my care that were recently put in my care and uh yeah we just uh, we just figured out as indigenous women you know with our busy with my busy schedule they said can you handle two kids i'm like bring them man after three noise don't make a difference you don't even <laughs> it, it doesn't even phase you after three after three <laughs> like you could, you could go from three to 12 kids and, it, and the noise doesn't make a difference it's the same <clears throat> so yeah, we're just winding down for the evening. Grandkids are in bed, and I'm like, yay, we get to visit. Hey. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, Deanna. <clears throat> I, um, I, I, I'm getting over a cold, so I know that I, I sound a little stuffed up, but um, I'm just really thankful to have both of you uh, make some time to join us tonight. And, um, you know, I got to see Nina uh, in December, uh, she is part of my uh, PhD committee uh, at the University of Calgary. Um, and so she's providing support to me uh, in my, my PhD work, uh, which focuses on um, ceremony and healing and, and traditional end of life ceremonies. And so um, it was so good to be in, in ceremony and to be able to, um, to, in that space together but to be able to present my proposal in in such a space and and i think mm -hmm. that uh with people who understand 
really understand the work that I'm doing. Uh, that that was really meaningful for me. And um, <clears throat> in that, I want to share that like in that uh, ceremony, you know, there was um, another committee member uh, who was in there who had done this process as well, like 20 plus years ago. Uh, and in there, he said, you know, back in the day, like this never would have happened. You know, we weren't allowed to do things like this. Um, and so for him to experience that and see that, uh, that as Indigenous students that we are, you know, reclaiming these spaces within these institutions in the way that we are learning uh, was really, um, was really beautiful. So thank you, Nina. And it was so good to see you. So I'd like to... Yeah, you're welcome like to go into a little bit more about the work that each of you do. Um, and so I'm going to actually tell the story. I'm going to, I'm going to tell the story first about we actually, <laughs> they're looking at me a little bit scared on the screen right now. Um, <laughs> what story? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> we actually recorded a session uh, back in <laughs> November um, and so we had did it, uh, we had did the session face to face, we were in Edmonton, uh, we went out for dinner, and then we we got together uh, to record in person. And the discussion at that time really focused on uh, grief and loss, um, and end of life as well. But it was interesting, because um, the, the recording on our, our recording device uh, shut off. Um, and then the lights shut off. <laughs> and, and so we were like, okay, we hear what you're saying. We're going to not, we're going to stop. And so respecting that, um, we were going to stop the recording and, and not publish um, at that point. Well, we couldn't publish what we were, uh, what was cut off at that time. So here we are again, a couple months later. Um, and again, just bringing together or, organic conversation about uh, the work that each of you are doing, because you're both doing really amazing work in your community. So I'll start with you, Nina. Well, in my community, uh, I've been very blessed to have support to um, we have some ceremonies coming back. In Treaty 4, we hadn't had a, a chicken dance or a horse dance for a very, very long time, decades, for many reasons. And so um, I've been after um, key people here, you know, poking at them, poking at them. We need to do this. We need to do this. And finally, one day, they just said, okay, do it. we got a budget. Do it. So that left me with, holy crap. Okay, so I'm running all over, looking for whoever. And we made some really good connections with some people from Pigeon Lake and just different places like that. And they're, so they're, they came up and they helped us with the, the horse dance. Mm -hmm. We had another ceremony. We had a, a peyote ceremony, which is a little different, but we're trying to present all forms of prayer to the community and give them opportunities to see what what's out there so we did that one and then we have um the chicken dance so right now we're planning we just had a meeting yesterday and we're planning the matai the giveaway trade dance mm. so we're doing that this february and so it's really taken on a new life here and so in my community that's what i'm doing here but i also have tons of other work all over 
And like Dee said, once you have one job or one kid, you might as well have three. <laughs> so I work all over. I work everywhere and I love it. I, I don't even look at it as work. I have one job in a city with a non-Indigenous organization that's created something called the Truth Report. And what they're doing is they are looking back at the creation of their organization and how it affected Indigenous people negatively. And they're starting to make repairs, reparative action um, regarding their state of being. So that's what they're doing. And we're, we're actually planning a February 2nd round dance. And we're bringing in kids that are, we, we serve a lot of kids in care and women in domestic violence situations. So we're bringing in uh, people in the community that can't afford to have this ceremony, mm. but want to memorialize their loved ones. So we're mm. creating that space for them and bringing them in and helping them to understand what this is and to help them just, just to get it done. So there's a lot of good things that I'm doing and I really appreciate the opportunities. I think uh, timing is everything. Timing is everything. And the creator must have just said, okay, go girl. You go girl. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. And so I always cross paths with Dee because we do a lot of the same work together. We do a lot of, um, I don't even know what to call it, but it's it's very interesting work on basically decolonizing and, and you know, taking back what's ours and, and t- taking care of it. So that's kind of what we're doing, and um, I hope that explains a little bit about what's currently happening with me. Thank you, Nina. <clears throat> Deanna, um, I'll pass it over to you. I know that you were doing a... Weren't <clears throat> you doing a keynote today? Yesterday. 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 Um, today, <clears throat> I was, um, today I was working with my private practice. I have um, a mental health therapist, and I work in one of the communities, so I can dress like this. <laughs> it makes my clients comfortable when they see that I that I I can dress like a mom or a cook and but yesterday I had my town clothes on. <laughs> the listeners don't know what you're looking like right now. What is this? Well, Describe. I, I have I have on my my classic Carhartt toque here and my shell earrings and my my flannel jacket. That's what I have on today. I'm uh, in, in comfort mode. Mm-hmm. Yesterday I had on the ribbon dress and all the Indian bling because I was standing on a podium in front of uh, um, mostly non-indigenous people, mm. um, and they wanted to, uh, they wanted my keynote to focus on um, decolon again decolonizing spaces, and um, a lot of the the students that were there were second third year students in, in various frontline capacities from nursing to mental health. And um, they wanted me to speak to them about coming into our communities and what they need to do for themselves to, pre- to prepare themselves. So that's that was my keynote. Um, and it was interesting because uh, I was in the town that I was born in. And uh, when I looked down, there was this beautiful East Indian woman uh, looking up at me smiling and I recognized her right away because I've ran into her before and her name is Dr. Lalita Maholtra. And she just recently retired, um, but she's the doctor that delivered me. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And then when I was 14, uh, I got pregnant at 14 and I went to her and I was a mess and I, you know, I thought I had ruined my life and, and just, 
I guess Kukums are, are, are universal because in true Kukum fashion, even though she's not indigenous, she told me, she says, uh, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. If you're going to have this baby, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Just stay in school. Hey. Mm. And I, I told that story when I was up there and I, I had her stand up uh, for the, the group to acknowledge her because her words always echoed. And I guess my message for the frontline workers is to <clears throat> life into all everybody, whether it's men, women, children, speak life and to speak love and compassion into into their work because there was times in my life where I didn't think I was going to be okay. And I'd always hear Dr. Lolita's voice in the back of my head. You're going to be okay. Mm. You're going to be okay. So fast forward 35 years and I'm standing in front of her in front of this huge auditorium filled with academics and professionals um, addressing the crowd and, and teaching them how to um, work with our people in a compassionate trauma informed way. So that's one of the things that I do is I do a lot of speaking engagements. Um, I'm also the First Nations Child Advocate appointed by um, the Chiefs for Treaty 6 in Alberta and also in Saskatchewan. That keeps me really busy. Um, the Chiefs will decide whether or not they need an advocate on a file uh, if they feel that the file is not going uh, in the child's best interest. And they'll call me in and um, I'm fortunate that a lot of the agencies give me the same respect that they would uh, the provincial the provincial appointed advocate. And that position came about because <laughs> the chiefs act when this was like over a decade ago, I want to say 15 years ago now, they felt that the provincial advocate wasn't um, wasn't meeting the needs of them as leaders or, or being the voice that they wanted for them. And they said, well, we need our own advocate. And, and um, I happened to be at the table and they said, well, you know, how do we do that? I said, well, you guys would have to, you know, get an office space and just appoint somebody. I said, you guys are party to the files as chief, as leadership, you're party to the files and you appoint somebody. So I got voluntold in the moment. <laughs> Instead of volunteered, I got voluntold. Okay, well, you're going to do it. And I go, let me in my big mouth, you know. <laughs> And and I've been doing it since, and and that is um, that's a volunteer role. Like I've been doing that volunteer for fifteen years. So that it's it's basically me giving back to mm. children in care because uh, I was a child in care. Um, uh, I spent all my childhood in a residential school and was uh, a ward of, of of the province. So that's. Um, when I'm doing that role, I, I let my inner child come out because she's really feisty. And uh, she goes for the juggler, especially in court, in the courtroom and and in boardroom environments where, where we have a lot of um, social work professionals who are not necessarily trauma-informed. And I'm sure all of you as social workers have, have run into this, where we have a lot of social workers who um, who think that white is right. And I just go in there and I, I very um, firmly correct them and, and educate them on on what our needs are as First Nations and what the children's needs are. So, yeah, that's what I do. That's um, that's a lot. And and uh, both of you, um, I've I've always admired, you know, watching and witnessing. Um, 
both of you just do the work. And I really like what Nina said, and I keep going back to it in my mind, of you said something about not just taking it back, but taking care of it. Um, and I think that's really important. Uh, I think that's a really important thing to, to mention is um, that piece around taking care of it, whatever it is. And, um, you know, we were having a conversation prior to hitting record. Of course, we always have these real wicked conversations uh, when we're just visiting off, off record. And, um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is around how representation matters and how it's really important for us to see ourselves. Um, and and I'll share a quick story. Um, my oldest daughter, she's 19, and she's at the University of Alberta. She wants to be a teacher. I was really hoping she wanted to be a social worker, and she said, hell no, mom. <laughs> um, and so I don't blame her, uh, but she wants to teach. And, uh, and so she's in the transition year program at the University of Alberta. And her first term, she she was so excited and, you know, would come home and just be, you know, chattering away about everything that she was learning. And she's struggling already this term. And she's struggling because um, all of her classes are Indigenous classes, but they're being taught by non-Indigenous people. And she's really struggling with that. Mm. And, uh, you know, and she said to me today, you know, she said, Mom, I would love to see someone who not just looks like me, but has some of the same experiences that I've had. Um, I would love to see them as my, as my teacher. And, uh, and she said, so I'm really struggling because there was uh, something that one of her uh, teachers had said that was, that it really alarmed her. And, uh, and she keeps going back to it. And then she asked me, you know, what's my role as a student you know, like, can I go to my, do, do you allow your students to come to you? And I'm like, of course I do. I tell my students, if I've said anything, which I will, I'm going to say things that might be out of pocket, really unhinged. And I want you to be able to come to me and say, hey, um, you know, what you said, can I get some clarity about that? Blah, blah, blah. And so I told my girl, I said, have a conversation with this person and and let them know that uh, what they said was, uh, you know, that it hurt your feelings or that it was maybe from your understanding, it was unhinged. And, uh, and so she said she would, but I tell that story because that goes back to, you know, again, what was, what we were talking about earlier around how representation matters and, you know, and, and Terry, you know, you and I have had lots of these conversations, you know, um, for years at the university prior to Terry starting in her role, I would have um, my students, my BSW students go out to the, go out across the university and I tell them, go, go from one end to the university to the other. And I want you to look for where you see indigeneity, where you see indigenous people, where you see us. And my students would come back pissed every year. They'd come back and they'd say, we didn't see you anywhere. We don't see you anywhere here, except for this tiny little cubby hole that's called the Indigenous Education, you know, center. You know, back then it was this tiny little cubby hole in Building Seven, and um, and and I remember my students would come back just upset, and they would say, "This is, you know, we are on Treaty Six territory. This is the, you know, this is the gathering place of said peoples, and you know, whatever." And so. When Terry started, I told Terry that story, you know, about how 
my students would go off into the university and would never see themselves represented anywhere or, or Indigenous people. And so, of course, Terry, you know, because she's someone who gets shit done, she was like, no, that's not okay. And so she went and created a whole bunch of, uh, you know, um, spaces and places where you can see us. And so the first year that all of those plaques were put up where there was more imagery, uh, more representation, and, and it's not just the imagery. Terry has advocated really, really hard uh, for more Indigenous scholars for people to be hired into the institution to not just do sessional work but also to have tenured positions and uh and in different departments within our institution and so it's not just you know artwork and you know the plaques it's also about ensuring that people like us can walk into classrooms and see people like us who talk like us who have the same slang that we do, who, you know, like bologna like we do, you know, like it real thick, boy, just tick, tick bologna, you know? Um, and, and that's so important. And so and so I, I just, I want to give, you know, Terry, I want to give you some props uh, and give you your flowers as well for, you know, I thought about you today, you know, when my daughter was talking and, you know, and, and I'm really proud of us, you know, for how hard we've worked at, at McEwen um, to ensure that there has that representation is there and that again we're not just taking it back but we're taking care of it and that's really really important and so I just wanted to tell that story because I was I've been thinking about it since before we hit record so thank you for take, allowing me take to take it back and take care of it is that the quote so is, is that, that like that so, is, so is that yeah, an alignment about- like the same with your like exes so if you're gonna take them back <laughs> I want to take them back. I want to take them back. He's like, no. If you're going to take them back, you better take care of him. (laughs) I want to take care of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. No, and I I appreciate... Sorry, go ahead, Dee. Just to add to what Amber said, um, not only having indigenous space but also acknowledging other indigenous cultures because that's something we don't see a lot of institutions doing and um i'll give an example yesterday um i'm i'm big for advocating not only for our indigenous people but for other indigenous indigenous cultures also and i made it a point to acknowledge um what's happening in Palestine in my, in my conversation mm-hmm. or in, in my keynote speech, because um, as somebody that's lived through like a whole childhood of oppression and a whole childhood mm-hmm. <clears throat> of, of watching uh, genocide happen in front of me, I, it, it affects me personally. And, it, and it's a trigger when I see what's happening in Gaza. And, and I told our people if they want to be, Indigenous allies, they have to include all cultures, all Indigenous cultures, not just First Nations cultures. They have to acknowledge that that um, genocide's still happening all over the world and, and specifically right now in Palestine. And after I was done, because it was a big auditorium, they they I was I was kind of weirded out like how they did it because they, they had um, somebody that uh, they had an usher for me and they had a green room. And I'm like, yo, 
you know. <laughs> and they had this big fancy green room and they had they said this usher will take care of all needs and I'm like I, I can take care of myself but thanks you know and my usher, my usher's taking me off into the wings of this big auditorium and there's two women with hijabs on and and they're crying in the wing and they said um you know the whole time that this has been happening wherever we go we don't hear t- people talk about it and the one lady was crying and she said i have family members where i don't even know if they're alive hmm. children children family members that she knows that are probably deceased and in order for us to to teach non-indigenous people how to be allies we have to include that they have to be allies for other cultures that are still going through genocide as we speak so that's one of the things that to add to that like to as as edu- educators i i feel we're responsible for for putting a mirror in front of um oppressive cultures and and in front of the oppressor and and just gently uh pointing out to them what's theirs and what's ours and what's real for us and what's what they perceive to be real for them but isn't because white privilege is real Thanks. I had a uh, I had a situation about well I can't remember but I was I went up to Ottawa and we had to talk of there was at that time there was over seven hundred and fifty thousand students on board supporting and pushing for indigenous languages being taught in the university so this particular university was sitting on the Algonquin territory and if you know anything about the Algonquins they're they're very straightforward and they're very like, you know, in your face kind of people about their um, needs in this um, desire to have their language in a campus. So we were all, you know, supporting them. We were each given, I think it was like three or four minutes to speak a, a certain dele- a certain amount of us in a delegation to speak on that. So when, there was like cameras, all the major news were there, cameras were there and all these microphones and every person that went up to speak, um, they had their, their three, four minutes or whatever it was. So the next person that was going up just before me was from Palestine and he was he went up to go speak and immediately the camera shut off. The reporters walked to the back of the room and they just stood at the back and I was just appalled. And he was speaking with no microphone, but he was talking, he was crying. And so when he was finished, now it was my turn. All the cameras back on. And I said, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Why did you erase him? Why are you doing that? And they just quickly shut off all their cameras and equipment. And they left, but I followed them outside with a couple of people. We followed them outside. And outside they had just said, we're sorry, we're not allowed to cover this. And I was like, yeah, I believe. So you're right, Dee. We do, have, we do have to stick up for other Indigenous across the world. And it's very serious business. Like, even though we like joking around and stuff, we, we know those people. And they, too, like to joke around. What else do you think keeps them alive, right? Mm. They're going through so many difficult situations. And so the Indigenous people of the world that are suffering like that, we always try to think of them when we're doing this um, work because I, we work with them. We work with people all around us that are... You know, some of the kids that are in care, the ones that take care of them are from Palestine. They're, you know, working there and struggling with not knowing where their little kids are. 
They don't even have care there. They have nothing there. So yeah, you're right. We do have to keep a, a thermometer gauge on what's going on in the Indigenous world if we want to talk about representation because it's right across the world mm. and we are all connect, connected somehow. Not just to our struggles, but to our, um, our our advances in just humanity. You never meet a more humane person than one that's living through war. And that goes for our people. Mm. You'll see someone on the street, ask them for five bucks, they'll give you their last five dollars, even though they don't have five dollars after that, right? It's just so beautiful. But it's difficult. People don't, people don't want to talk about that. But like you said, Amber, representation is key. There has to be representation. Um, like when everyone went to Paris, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, what an opportunity. You know, for some, so I know some of those guys, little res guys that never, you know, they, the farthest <laughs> they go is Oklahoma. All of a sudden they're in, they're in Paris, right? Louis Vuitton. <laughs> right? Just, I was just very stoked for them and. I knew they'd get backlash. Anytime you step forward to do anything liberating, you're mm-hmm. going to get attacked by your, most of your own people. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough. But I'm really proud of them. I'm glad they went. It, it, it And you were just talking about liberation. And, and um, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, when we think about what we can put our finger on and do really well sometimes, you know, as Indigenous people, uh, and, and not just Indigenous people, but, you know, I, I, I have my students doing this assignment right now. And um, they first have, have to draw out a tree of oppression. They have to go right from the roots all the way up to the leaves. And they have to draw out what all of, you know, at the roots, there's all of these systems that are, you know, co- colonialism, patriarchy, white supremacy, you list them all. <laughs> Right. You go up the trunk and then up the trunk, there's, you know, all of the practices and beliefs that support those roots. And then the leaves are the things that we can see, you know, and oftentimes as social workers, they're the the symptoms of said, you know, oppressions. And um, and so they have to they have to draw all that out first. And those are the things that we can list really quickly and really easily, especially when we do the work that we do, you know, that we yeah. can go out into the community. And we can list off all of the ways that. You know, we see oppression, that we feel it. Because I always think oppression's a feeling word. <laughs> I always think it's a feeling word. And, um, and especially when you've experienced it, you know what oppression feels like. Mm-hmm. And so gotcha. uh, now my students have to draw a tree of liberation. And so it's, it's interesting because sometimes it's really hard for people to wrap their minds around, like, what would liberation look like? Because we've never been allowed to think about liberation. Right. We've never been allowed to dream liberation, right? We've never had this opportunity to be like, if you were freed from all of your suffering, what would that look like? And we go, what? Free from our suffering? Like, yeah, holy, right? <laughs> right? And it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes to wrap our minds around what that would look like to be free. And what does freedom look like? What does it feel like? So if we know what oppression feels like, what does liberation feel like? And so I'm really excited for my students, you know, and they're predominantly, you know, non-Indigenous students. Um, and I'm so excited for them, you know, to to dream up liberation, um, because as as we've been talking about, liberation is all bound up with one another. Right. 
Um, you know, and, and if my liberation is not meeting yours, then is it really a liberation, you know? Uh, and so yes. I think it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, that you say that Nina, I, you made me think about that, about how we really um, have difficulty sometimes dreaming liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and oftentimes it's because our, our oppression is right here. It's right yes. in front of us. <clears throat> you know, it's yeah, interesting. Um, you, uh, Amber, because you're talking, you know, you brought up this topic and it's interesting because I think that like this is something that I personally needed to hear today, all day, <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> and I think that, you know, when we think about because yesterday was a tough day, it was a tough day and you can feel the heaviness. You, I felt oppress, oppression all day yesterday in my meetings and it was like this colonial fatigue of just really having to fight and advocate for things that should be just simple. And I think that in a really, in a system that doesn't understand me or understand indigenous people. And, um, you know, and so I felt that oppression yesterday, all day. And that's really hard sometimes and exhausting to, you know, in the work that we do. And I think about, um, the then you talk about this liberation and today I spent the day with elders um and it was just like this I the space where I came into with it I came into this space with them um and as we went through this circle and they were all sharing things with me um it was reminding me of of you know um the work that I'm doing the why I do my work the purpose in my work but just the love like I was like okay now I'm feeling you know it's like your battery is being filled again your cup is being filled um and you know that balance of of being in these places and I think that you know that's something as as many of us are working in these different fields you know and we are constantly um fighting or advocating um in spaces that don't understand us that how are we taking care of ourselves or how are we going into spaces where uh, we have that collective care with our elders and our community and our, our family and our friends. And so I appreciate that, Amber. I love you. And I, 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 you know, you always know what to say and I don't even have to tell you. So I appreciate that. Um, but I feel really good today and we had such an amazing time with elders. And so one of the things that I would... Um, I'm going to ask each of you, Nina and Diana, is if there is any closing comments um, that you would have for our listeners that you feel uh, is important for them to hear. And whoever wants to start first. They're both looking at each other. Uh, pointing lips, I think, um, lips at each other. <laughs> their lips. <laughs> but I, I'd like rounded in, um, understand ourselves. We have to look at parts of ourselves that are not just spiritually inclined or environmentally friendly. We have all these, um, other types of stereotypes. And those are good ones, mind you, but at the same time, not everybody's like that. So we need to look at 
who who are we? Who who are we really? And that's really important as we start stepping towards ceremony because the type of person you are and the things you're not healing, you're gonna bring in there and you're gonna take it out there and you're gonna project it onto the people that are looking for healing. And right now we're in that, we're in that state of chaos. I see it everywhere. It's all over. So I really do diligence. I do um, due diligence when I try to present ceremonial teachings. I try to make sure I have the proper, um, first of all, that I have the right to speak on something and then find the right people when I don't and accept that and accept being corrected. And um, I ran into so many situations of late where people are just sort of uh, taking advantage. Right now we're in a time of reconciliation. There's a lot of money flying around. But pretty soon that government's going to say, you know what, snip, that's it. You guys are done. We did our we did our part. And there's lots of people that don't see that. They think this is going to last forever. It's not. We need to get that um, our footing and work together and find a way to just understand that we got to build more build ourselves more than just from the stem of money. We need to build ourselves from the stem of um, boundary integrity, having a, a good understanding what our own characteristics are of characteristics and dynamics that we carry from being oppressed because we carry them and we'll project that pain and suffering onto others. And so those are, I know that that's a lot to tell people. Like when I talk like this, some people just look at me like, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm really, adamant and continuing to use the language that way not only with our pre-language but with that language to sort of get people thinking about freedom thinking about and when we want to fight for something and take things back if we don't look after those things that we're fighting for we're just recreating what we grew up with and we need to like take better care of things many of us you know, we, we feel guilty about the things we do, but not to do things from guilt, do things from a solid stance. You know, I would never work anywhere where people are doing things out of guilt. No white organization would I ever, and they know that. I don't last long anywhere, but this job I'm lasting because I know they're putting in the effort, the real true effort. We're having a sweat, actually. We just built one today, my son and my other son, they came and built it. So just continue to work at building we only have so much time here in the world make the best of it and um i just really appreciate the work you guys do in representation when i heard about two crees in the pot i was really excited because i was thinking this is exactly what we need and females to boot doing this right it's always male oriented and i just thought there's going to be a good spin on this because it's two ladies talking right so thank you so much, both of you, for all the hard work you're doing in the studies and in your personal. I know your personal lives are full of integrity, and that's what we need. I so appreciate that. And you too, Dee, are my ride or die. I'm so glad you're on this with me. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. I, I, if I'm going to leave the listeners with anything, um, and this is something that, that it took me... Like I'm 51 now and it took me a good 35 years, 40 years to, to learn how to get honest with myself. Um, the hardest language to learn um, is not your own indigenous language. It's, it's the language of truth because we get so comfortable bullshitting ourselves. And um, my circle is like super small. 
if, if I want truth or if I want uh, a kick in the butt, I'll, I'll call Nina. <laughs> if I want honest feedback, I'll ask my kids because my kids don't bullshit me. They call me out on my stuff. Um, they, they say, no, we don't need D the therapist. We need D, D the mom. Like, we need to listen. And um, that usually is enough for me to um, to remember to take off the hats and the titles. And um, because we are not our title, we're, we're not we're not the degrees. We're not we're not all these titles that are bestowed upon us. At the end of the day, um, being honest with yourself is it's it's not an easy task. It's easier to lie to yourself and, and bullshit and say that you're okay than to say that uh, I'm actually not okay. And if I if I'm gonna do this work, I have to be okay with telling people when I'm not okay. Um, so for what to reiterate what Nina said, uh, I I've encountered as of late to a lot of really um, unhealthy frontline workers, and it, and it's scary because we these are our own people. These are our own people that are out there and that have titles that, that give them power over other people's uh, well-being and, and vulnerabilities. And um, wounded people or hurt people are going to hurt people, plain and simple. So if you're going <clears> to <throat> delve into this work and delve into First Nations communities and, and, and wanting to be an ally and to help uh, not just First Nations communities, but Indigenous communities around the world, to, to learn um, the proper protocols for each each nation, each culture, and to get really honest with yourself that having a degree or a master's or a PhD does not make us all knowledgeable, that we're gonna be students till the day that we die. And once we accept that, uh, life gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And being corrected, uh, we, don't, we don't take offense to it. So um, I, I always say, like, if you're not in my meme list, um, you're not, you're not in my, in my friend list. And, and I think everybody here is in my meme list. <clears throat> we have so few people that we can get really honest. At two thirty in the morning, you're on meme list. Never mind. <laughs> you guys, crazy TikToks. <laughs> yeah. So that's it's that's that's what I would. T- people to do is if, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna play in this arena then get comfortable looking in the mirror um and asking yourself what do i need to fix before i go out and try to fix somebody else mm-hmm. what's what's broken here what what's uh what what wound is bleeding because uh, any bleeding wound is going to bleed onto your kids your partner your family the communities you work in um and to find the resources that you need to, to heal that so that you're not out there harming people. And it gets really frustrating um, dealing with wounded people. Wounded people with title are the most dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> I appreciate that, um, both of you. And I appreciate both of you and, and being able to um, to join us late i know you're an hour ahead as well in saskatchewan um and so thank you uh both very much for for joining us on two crees in a pod love you love you too i just want to give a shout out to our maori listeners um we know what they're going through right now they have a new government that is trying to do away with their language um i don't know if you know but today today was is 
um, the Maori language, every street, every town in New Zealand is, is in the Maori language mm -hmm. and the current government is trying to do away with even street signs and, and town signs. They want to um, give them colonized names. So oh the Maori, um, we have your back, you know, mm -hmm. if you need some scalpers, oh. give us a <laughs> Shout out. We'll get on. We'll get on the plane and we'll come back you up. Real. Just took it too far. <laughs> they're, they're, they're warriors like us. They're warriors like us. so. We have, like I said, we have to be allies to all yeah. the indigenous cultures, and we yeah. have to acknowledge, you know, true. that that Palestine and the Maoris and and any other indigenous culture, uh, we see you. We mm -hmm. see you. Yeah. Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Natani means. Yeah. Let's go. They pushed us to this point. Frustrations of a common man. Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land. I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor. Like, what's the use of my kids? Can't taste clean water. A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice. Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice. Remember ancestors' anguish, lightning in our veins. Hear it in a language when they are kitchen for the rain. I am product of people that persevere persecution. Paint me so creator sees me. If I go out shooting, experience our pain. When our women disappear daily. Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the wolves in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptations? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said